Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 73 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I'm with Becky and Rachel, and we're going to answer a couple of questions that I answered, actually answered in the Flying Free program in one of our monthly live Q&As a couple of years ago. So every month in the Flying Free program, we have a two-hour live Q&A, we get together, and the women can ask any question they want to. And then I help them with those issues. It's, this is just one of the many ways that they get education and support within that program. Um, it's closed right now, but if you would like to learn more and get on the waiting list for when it opens back up, you can do so at flying, I'm sorry, at joinflyingfree.com. Okay. So first of all, welcome Becky and Rachel. Are you guys ready to get started? I am. Let's get started. Cool. Okay. So here's the first question. After successfully escaping abuse, how do you determine that the respect or positive treatment that you receive from any new relationships are not just another wave of wolves in sheep's clothing waiting for their opportunity to show their teeth? It doesn't feel fair or trusting to look at every person that comes through your new life now that you're healing as just another predator waiting to jump on you. Do you ever learn to completely trust again? When someone offers to help you with a task, is it possible to realize that they're just genuinely wanting to help and not actually taking inventory of how many times they've offered help and now you owe them help in return? Going through life presuming that the world is always out to get you is exhausting and feels fearful and sad. What do you guys think? Well, yeah, it is. It is fearful and sad. And it's sad that this was we were conditioned to think like this, um, like you scratch my back, I scratch your back. Um, and I'm always going to call those accounts, um, do right. I'm always going to, um, send you the invoice for what I've done for you essentially. Um, (laughs) and that's what emotionally abusive marriage is. It's never about unconditional love. It's about one person taking advantage of all the gifts and beauty that the other person has to offer and never allowing them to be the person of who they are and just loving them as for who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the, the path that needs to be explored here is first of all, learning how to trust yourself that you are not going to allow yourself to be put in a situation again. And the way to do that is to give yourself the tools and the skills to be able to evaluate people's fruit, people's behavior, what they do. And instead of, um, oh, like so many of us, I think myself, I listened to what my husband, ex-husband said instead of what he did. And it was always so confusing because they didn't match up. Um, He said he was a Christian. He had no fruits of the spirit. Um, he said he loved me and yet he acted so with such destruction towards me every day. So, um, learning how to, um, trust yourself by giving yourself those, those abilities to read people. And and this is where books like boundaries come in 
um, what, you know, understanding what is your responsibility, what is other people's responsibility, um, learning what is healthy behavior, learning what is unhealthy behavior, and how to respond and how to get people, um, you know, to allow people to come in or not come in. And I think the other book um, that we've recommended on here before as well by, um, by Cloud, Dr. Henry Cloud, is Safe People. So learning how to evaluate whether someone is safe, whether they're worthy of trust. That's good, Rachel. I remember um, thinking, especially when I met my new husband, um, oh, I was just so distrustful of everyone. Yeah. And it's been years. And so some of that um, time takes care of because mm-hmm. you as if time takes care of it, if you're healing and you have a new way of thinking. Right. And, but one thing I realized pretty early on is my distrust was kind of tied to this disproportionate amount of, of, um, trust I thought I had to give. So in my abusive situation, um, I was basically over the years hammered down to believe that I had to trust even the most egregious lies. Yeah. That makes sense. And so, you know, that old saying, trust, but verify, Mm. you know, it's a great, it's a great, if you're a manager, it's the best slogan ever trust, but verify. (laughs) We (laughs) We were not allowed to do that in our marriages. Right. And that's, that's telling us that then we have no value. We have no place. And so I think if we come at it with, it is okay not to trust. I mean, I think to to say it's kind of like a court of law where they say you're innocent until proven guilty. Um, Why can't you do that with trust? You know, you need to earn my trust. Instead, we have this, this disproportionate amount of trust we think we owe people before we even know them well enough. So I think my husband, um, my new husband was in law enforcement and, um, you know, I think that's just, it's just an interesting lifestyle because <laughs> imagine how many people you've come into contact that you cannot trust. <laughs> um, but he, early on, he would give me some really good advice. And, and a lot of it was the trust, but verify and don't share too much. And that has, those two things have been really key to just stepping back, giving it time, watching what happens. And I tell you what, it has taken five years, but I have slowly and not completely, but I believe slowly we did most of the toxic people out of my life simply by going back and saying, trust, but verify, don't just, and don't feel this, um, this weight of needing to trust somebody that's not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know if that's a Christian ideal that just kind of was passed down, but I think the best. Right. Well, I, oh, I'm sorry, Rachel. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Natalie. I was just agreeing. I was just going to say that I think that um, we were taught, Christians are taught to believe that love, when we love someone, we trust them, that they, those, those two things kind of go hand in hand, which is really odd because there's actually a verse in the New Testament. I don't remember the reference, but you could Google it that says that Jesus didn't trust people because, and I believe this is an exact quote, he knew what was in man or he knew what was in the heart of man. So he mm. didn't, and he didn't entrust himself to people. That's mm-hmm. what it says. Mm-hmm. And so if Jesus, and Jesus is love, he was God and he is the essence of love. So if he didn't trust, entrust himself to people because he knew what was in the heart of man, then why would we just blindly, you know, why would we do that? I right. think, um, 
I mean, I don't even, I'm remarried and I, but I don't trust my husband to always know exactly what's in my best interest. How could he possibly know that? He's, right. he's him and he's responsible for himself. I'm responsible for me. I'm the one who knows all the ins and outs and the nuances of what I need or don't need. So I, like uh, you said, Rachel, I think we do need to learn how to um, be responsible to ourselves, how to trust ourselves, how to do what's best for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we do, and it's a process to do that. Mm-hmm. That's what we do in our, in the flying free group. It's a process to learn and grow in having your own back. And, but at the same time, um, when we we talk about relationships with other people, we can still love people that we don't trust. I know because I love a lot of people that I do not trust and I'm not going to disclose personal information to them because I know what they would do with that information. And I I know that because I've learned that the hard way because I've also, you know, we've all done that, right? We've all, We've all been, had our trust betrayed and it's not that we don't love them though, or spend time with them. I mean, necessarily, we, I mean, sometimes we don't spend time with them because they're just being very abusive, but you know, someone could be just a very untrustworthy person, like maybe a gossip or something like that. And we love them, but we don't necessarily share information that we know that they're just going to go out and tell everybody about yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Or, or even trust them to be part of your life in certain areas. Like, right. like if, you know, or to certain, certain areas. people, I wouldn't ask to come over and help me with something at my house. Right. I, you know, yeah. I, because I know, you know, for whatever reason, and I, you know, we, there's different reasons for everybody, but there's just some people I won't allow. I don't trust them yet. It's not that I dislike them. <laughs> and I think that, that too, there is not this absolute black and white. There's gray. We can have lots of gray relationships. It doesn't have to be full throttle yes. or nothing. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's right. so true. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that love means acting in someone else's best interest. And we have sort of a misunderstanding of that, of what love looks like um, sometimes. Um, so it's, it's important to remember. And I think that just, that just supports what you were saying, Natalie, about how you can love someone and still not trust them. But, you know, there's one more thing I, I think that I've experienced in my own healing process that I realized was that I used to project my own intentions and motivations onto other people trying to understand mm-hmm. them. And I think that's something that we do a lot. Maybe that's normal for people in general, or maybe just people who are more susceptible to being abuse victims. I don't know, but um, it takes practice not to do that. Like I have to remember, no, other people don't have the same values that I have. They don't necessarily want to follow Jesus. They want to follow themselves or they want to serve themselves or whatever. I'm not saying that I'm all all pure or whatever, but um, people, it's, it's sort of this naive way of looking at the world that everyone else just has it, you know, has good intentions all the time. They, They just don't. Yeah. Um, there's evil um, in the world. People right. are evil sometimes. We, we were hiring a contractor and um, I was watching how my husband was interacting with him. And I just thought, wow, I used to always as- assume that the contractor had my best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. And my husband does not assume that. My husband assumes he has his best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. And we have to come to a middle ground so that both of our interests are served. Yes. <laughs> And it was just, and this was just recently, and the 
And I don't know if the disproportionate amount of trust I was giving people was based on both the, the mix of the Christianity that, you know, not, not Christianity, toxic Christianity, um, yeah. uh, rules and laws coupled with the abuse and how many years it went on and some you know really bad habits I formed through that. But I will tell you it, uh, it's taken me, I mean, what I'm five years out, I'm still learning. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't think that it's like you one and done mm-hmm. and like there's this concrete answer and we all arrive at that at your five months, five years, two months and three days. I <laughs> think it's like we all, it's a new skill set we have to learn. Yeah. I agree. So good. Okay. You guys ready for the second question? Sure. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Um, I saw relatives of my husband whom I thought were strong Christians turn a blind eye to the abuse. Do they have the Holy Spirit in them? Are they ignoring his voice? How can I have heard so strongly from the Holy Spirit to get out? And yet these Christians are telling me I need to stay. Are they evil or just naively in denial? How do I reconcile this hurt? Oh, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, and I've got to brag on Natalie for a second. I am taking the flying higher course right now, and I'm loving it because as soon as I read this question, I thought, wait, 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 she's got her facts and her feelings wrong. <laughs> and, um, and so I would say the first thing I would look at is um, she says, turn a blind eye. Are these people really turning a blind eye or are they just believing what they've always believed? And now that you believe something different, now that you recognize something different, something they may have not recognized yet, something they may never recognize because our abusers are really good at hiding it. Um, are they really, can you actually put on them the, the action of turning a blind eye? I don't think so. I think you have to say, Mm, no, they're actually just living exactly like they've always lived. Yes. They're living according to a, a, a set of rules, a set of ideals, a philosophy that you were once living in. And as you're changing, you see it's wrong. They haven't seen that yet. So I think that's that was really helpful to me for people who I remember uh, a couple people saying some very painful things when I divorced and some, that was some of the hardest stuff to get over. Um, but I remember once I realized, wait, they are no different than they were the day before I decided divorce. Um, I'm the one changing, not them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, and then I, I'm going to say one, the other thing is um, when she talks about the Holy Spirit's voice, I think we can all agree the Holy Spirit is 100% correct all the time. But the problem is, we are interpreting what he's saying. And so you might, it's like saying, um, cause I like analogies. Um, if I say to Natalie, Natalie, Susie in Texas passed away yesterday. How is she going to interpret that? Like she doesn't know who Susie is. Right. So her response to that's going to be completely different than mine. Since Susie was my best friend in this scenario. Hmm. So, you got to think of if the Holy Spirit saying one thing to them, they're processing it through the lens of they've never seen abuse. They don't even attach abuse to the word of your ex-husband's name. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't look at somebody and say, do they actually hear from the Holy Spirit? Man, they could be hearing the same exact words verbatim and have a completely different thought process to, to interpret that. Wow, so, yeah. that's so good. I love because, that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. 
So yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I would never say this is, this has been really hard for me to learn, but I would never say evil because now I do think there are evil people. And let's just, let me just tell you, my ex was evil. Yeah. <laughs> there were certain pastors that were evil. Um, but I, people who do not understand people who are side sideliners, you know, they're, they're in the stands watching. Um, they've never experienced anything like it. It's not even in their vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't, you can't attribute evil. You have to just contribute. They're living their truth. They really, they have a truth they believe in and they're walking in it. It just might not be completely true. Yeah. And you found that it wasn't true and you acted on it. You got to wait for them to find it's not true and act upon it. Mm-hmm. Can I build on that, Rebecca? Because Absolutely. I think you're exactly right. And I um, had an experience this week where I've been studying um, Revelation of all things. And I was listening to a podcast about it. And the, the, the word apocalypse, we all have a very westernized view of that term. Mm-hmm. But what it simply means is an unveiling. And an unveiling of Jesus Christ happens when he's, when he begins his ministry and he's starting to reveal who he is. So he's apocalypsing, um, to himself, himself, to his followers, essentially. It's really interesting if you want to go study it, but, um, Paul had an apocalypse on the road to Damascus, a personal one where God revealed himself to Paul. Okay. And so then Paul spends the rest of his life on earth trying to preach the gospel to his fellow Jews. I mean, he was, he was ministering to the Gentiles, but he was, he had a heart for his brothers, the Jews who um, rejected Christ as he once had. And he was desperate to get them to to understand what he knew and they wouldn't. And um, he, so he knows this kind of grief where we're, you know, we've all sort of had an apocalypse in our life where we've understood something that we didn't understand before. There was an unveiling of what was truly going on in our, in our world. And um, so trying to get people to see what they aren't ready to see and they can't see, and maybe God hasn't chosen, you know, they haven't had an, an, they haven't chosen to open their eyes and they just don't see it yet. As Rebecca was saying, they just don't have that framework yet. And maybe they never will. Um, you know, because the, the need might not ever show up in their life. Yeah. I mean, the only reason we had this, I love that word apocalypse, this unveiling of what's happening is because we had a need, like we had this abuse Mm -hmm. and the abuse might have been the revealing. um, But beyond that, I would say all of us have gone back and questioned it. it, The circumstances caused us to go and question even more. Mm -hmm. You know, why did this happen? Okay. So then why did that happen? And all of us, I think, sometimes being in this group, you know, there's a, there's a benefit that we, even though it's painful, have this opportunity to go further and go deeper into what's really going on here. Yeah. And it's liberating and freeing, but a lot of people never have the perp or the reason, the cause to go deeper. Their life is working for them well. And so why do they need to ask any more questions? Right. Yeah. And maybe they can't handle it. Maybe yeah. that's just where they are in their in their journey of faith. They don't they don't have the ability to see this, and that's okay. Because um, you know, it's like just to build on what you said too. It's a little bit of a burden to yeah. see. Um, I, I mean, the depths of of how Satan is working in this world and how it's right in front of us. 
and it's in the in the way that people choose to align their values and mm-hmm. with with his with his values instead of God's values. Um, it's it's really heartbreaking and it's and it's alarming because it's in the church. It's in people who claim to be Christians who profess. Well, and this particular question, she was asking about relatives of her ex, which I, I don't know. I guess I feel like it, I mean, I lost, my my ex had relatives, um, one family in particular that I would have described them and still do describe them as strong Christians, but definitely grounded in a theology that is, um, I would, I believe is problematic mm-hmm. and their response to our divorce was informed by that theology. Right. So while they, do, they love Jesus, they are living their lives for him. They're, they're the, some of the nicest, I have huge respect for them. Um, and they, their rejection of me, it wasn't really a rejection when I look back on it at the time, I felt like they were rejecting me personally. But when I look back on it, what they were just trying to do is they were trying to get me to do what they thought I should do. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because, mm-hmm. because that's the truth they live in and they right. feel like they need to bring you to truth the same way that you feel like you need to bring them to truth. Mm-hmm. And so as one wise woman said on this, we just need to disagree agree to disagree. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and that's the thing that it's really difficult for survivors, especially when they're in the thick of getting out and they're experiencing rejection and criticism from every angle that's, uh, and, and they've already been very much criticized and shut down in their relationship for so long that's really a hard pill for them to swallow. And it's very traumatizing for them, which is really sad. Usually though, I shouldn't say usually, hopefully at least the work that I do with women is I'm trying to get them to this place where they can come into a place of strength on their own so that they can eventually get to the place where like we have been able to, where we can look back and say, you know what, that wasn't about us. It was actually about them and where they're at and it's okay um, I mean, it really hurt and everything, but, and yet so many good things came out of that rejection. I, for me, I learned how to walk on my own two feet instead of yeah. always needing the approval and acceptance and permission of everybody mm-hmm. else. Um, that was a hard, hard lesson that I had never learned in my entire life. And I had to, mm-hmm. at age 50, I had to learn that. It's just yes. like when a, oh, a child starts learning to walk, it's like, the same pain. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like it's even possible at first. Right. The other thing I wanted to say too, is that it really isn't our responsibility to figure out where someone stands with God, you know, where their relationship is with God. It's just not, it's just not our, and that's where I think the Christian world is so a little bit messed up is everyone's in everyone else's business. Yeah. You know, everyone else is kind of judging everyone else and evaluating everyone else when what we should really be doing is just taking responsibility for our own selves. If we know that we have an intimate relationship with God and it's going well, um, then that's all that matters. And our job and our duty in the Christian community is simply to love and accept just as God loves and accepts us the way we are to love and accept others the way they are and understand that their story isn't over yet. So let's say someone's going, even, even for those Christians who are, you know, disparaging divorce, divorcees, 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 people who are divorced, they need to step back and go, you know what? That's their journey. 
And, and right. I don't have really a right or the wisdom to understand what, where God is bringing them on their journey. And maybe if I focused on myself and my own journey and where God has me, I would be less concerned about judging them. And the other thing too, is when we are constantly judging ourselves and disparaging ourselves and shaming ourselves, we are going to absolutely do that to other people. Amen. We are. So if you want to be a more Christ-like, loving, generous, you know, holding space for people right where they're at, you have to learn how to do that for yourself. And I see this with, I see this with survivors. A lot of survivors become advocates, beautiful advocates, and they really are holding safe spaces for other survivors. And it'd be beautiful if we could, you know, get the whole church of Jesus Christ to be like that. But again, everyone is on their journey. And all of those, we think of the whole church of Jesus Christ as being this big unit, but within that unit are individuals in their own stuff and in their own mess and learning at their own pace. And we have to give grace to them as much as we give grace to our own selves. And if we're not giving grace to our own selves, we will never be able to give grace to other people. And the answer to that is Jesus. You've got to understand how Jesus sees you. So that you can apply that for yourselves. Right. And then if you don't, if you have a bad old, you know, really, um, a per- perception of, of Jesus as someone up there judging you and, and wagging his finger at you, you're not going to be able to give that to yourself or others. Right. So learning who Jesus really is, is really key here. Rebecca, yes. you're going to say something. Oh, no, no. I was in, uh, last night I had a conversation with one of my daughters and she was talking about how she gets very frustrated sometimes at the the church, the Christianity, and that it doesn't teach. It's where responsibility is not taught well. And I just had like this light bulb moment when Natalie was saying, you know, for those people who are focused on um, tearing down divorcees, whichever one it is, (laughs) um, and, and you know what they're not doing, they're not taking responsibility for themselves. And so when you are focused on judging others, you don't have the, the space to take responsibility for your own actions, if that makes yeah, sense. Right. And that that literally puts you at a grinding halt for growth because yes, only by exactly. looking at our responsibilities can we grow. And I would say too, just to go back to that gal's question about the relative, I kind of, I, I apologize, I missed the relative word. <laughs> so I wanted to give a, 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 an example of my a relative in my life. She was my ex's sister and I really loved her. And, um, probably the only relationship I grieve, um, through divorce uh, on his side of the family. And, but what I do know is, and I too, I loved her so much that I actually never like thought, what are you doing? Why aren't you listening to me? I never even reached out to her. I just, I sent a couple texts just saying I loved her and I wish we could have a relationship, but I understand if we can't. And, uh, and then on the holidays, she or I would maybe send each other a text, just say we, we miss each other. But um, what I knew is that if she were to ever agree with me, it would cause so many problems in her own life because now she would have to actually deal with an abusive brother. If she could stay out of it and, and, and actually it, it's just a denial. It's a, it's, it's a way to, for her to actually live in this this terrible truth is just to kind of deny that it's there, just brush it off as, Oh, your irreconcilable differences or whatever, because her responsibility would change. And I think it's just too much. 
Um, I know it's too much for her. And so I think you have to give uh, the the siblings, the parents, the in-laws, the outlaws, the aunts and the (laughs) uncles, a lot of grace about what agreeing with you really does to their life. Yeah. And, and they don't, they probably don't need that. Cause guess what? Look how much we got to change our exes. Not much. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. exactly. So true. So you know, true. I think it's kind of funny is that we are all divorcees or divorcees and we have yeah. no idea how to say that word. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Rachel. Yeah. That's true. We got to figure that one out. Well, you guys, I, I think see, I, I, I never oh, think ahead. of myself as a divorcee. I don't think of myself as that. I, that's not my identity. I, I know. I don't either. I don't either. It's so funny. Yeah. In fact, when I picture, I, this must be a childhood image in my mind, but I'm picturing like this woman with very hard lines and kind of a scowl on her face yes, and her hair yes. up in a tight bun. And she yes. just hates the world. Like that is literally the picture in my mind, right. it's a childhood picture. And th- I'm sure that's what people, they have that inside their back of their heads. Like, Oh my gosh, you're divorced. You are that woman. <laughs> that would be, that would be a really funny question to ask what women have. Cause mine is more of this, um, this ultra feminist, brawl burning, yeah. Bible hating woman who yeah. is so self centered, she will do anything to get what she wants. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. or um, uh, the other one is that that actress who's been divorced a million times. What is her name? Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. The so, shrew. <laughs> exactly. The shrew. Yeah. So funny. Okay. I think we're done. So let me just say this though, before we close, I, I want to thank everyone who's listening. I don't think I do that very often. And I, it's just cause I'm, you know, a flea brain, but I just want to thank all of you guys for listening to this podcast. You guys have contributed to making this podcast grow exponentially over the past, well, since it started. And it's been really excited, exciting to watch that and to be part of that. And um, so I want to thank you. And I also I want to invite you to share any of your thoughts that you have about the podcast in Apple iTunes. If you, um, if you, if you Google, you can either link to it in the show notes on my website, flyingfreenow.com, or if you're listening on your app, you can just, um, go to, well, I don't really know how you do it on your app, but anyway, you just go to uh, Apple iTunes or Apple podcasts and look up flying free and you'll have the, the opportunity to leave a rating, you know, where you could rate it from like one to five, definitely recommend the five or you could, in fact, if we're going to rate it a one, please don't do any of this. Just turn this off, turn it off right now. And anyways, if you go, you can leave a rating or you can, and you can also leave a review and give a few of your own thoughts about how this podcast has helped you. Because here's the thing, when you do that, uh, iTunes or whoever they are now, they actually comb through and they'll, if they see that a show is getting a lot of ratings and reviews, they'll show it to more people. You know, they'll introduce, you know, they'll show it in people's feeds as something, well, if you liked this, you might also like this. And that exposes more people to the opportunity to find out that this even exists. So you'd be helping out the show that way. So that's, that's it. Just an invitation. You don't have to do it. You can be anonymous. I know some of you are concerned about, well, I don't really want anyone to know that I'm listening to this. Um, this renegade podcast, this rebellious podcast, <laughs> but you can actually podcast. What the divorcee podcast? 
exactly. <laughs> but um, but you can actually leave really funny, weird names if you want to, and pretend to be someone else. So if you've ever had a a uh, fantasy of doing that, now is your chance. Okay, you can pick whatever name you want and leave it, and then leave a review, and it, that would be awesome. So that's all I, all we have for you for this week. Until next time, fly free.